and folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zina Kojima again. Great to have you back with us today. And it's also great to see so many of you signed up for our event. At the end of this month, we're already over 75% booked, three quarters booked. They're just for seats, though. We can still um, fit in anyone who comes in on the night, uh, but it looks like it'll soon be standing room only. So if you would like to have a seat, um, this might be a good time to book. Uh, only about three weeks left, so that's 31st July, Wednesday evening at Charlie Rose, Akasaka, Tokyo. We'll link to the event page in this episode's show notes again. It just requires you to RSVP, no advance payment required. And it's only a thousand yen anyway, about 10 US dollars or 12 Australian dollars. So if you are in Tokyo on the last week of July, we'd love to have you with us. Okay, now let's dive right into today's topic, tenant horror stories. So some of you have written to us commenting that everything sounds rosy and peachy here in Japan. Almost too good to be true, which is definitely not the case. And in this episode, we're going to set the record straight and share some of the less pleasant experiences uh, that one can actually suffer as a landlord in Japan. We've uh, shared this on social media before, so we'd better give you a word of warning. This is the only episode which we're going to rate uh, M, mainly because we're going to share some unsavory details with you. So if you're underage or even just queasy, and this is definitely not an episode that you'll want to listen to, so probably a good time for you to sign off and go listen to one of our previous episodes, which should be much more family-friendly. But to those of you who are interested in knowing what can go wrong in a Japanese rental property, whether as cautionary tales or just out of morbid curiosity, do stay with us. Okay, so we've already mentioned a few times that Japanese tenants are generally speaking, um, fairly docile. They would almost never damage a property, or at least not intentionally. They wouldn't be caught running a drug lab or inviting unwanted squatters to live in with them, and other stuff that you may be familiar with, uh, either personally or from stories shared by landlords in other countries. And that is mainly true. However, the key words here are almost and mainly, because even in Japan, uh, rotten apples do exist, of course, and if you're dealing in the lower end of the rental market, which is often the case for anyone looking to maximize yields, there's going to be more of that uh, compared with higher-end properties. So while it is rare and normally wouldn't be as bad as in other countries, you do occasionally run into some problems, even with Japanese tenants, and you're also going to run into some issues that are more specific to Japan, not necessarily anything to do with bad tenants, and sometimes made a little bit worse by Japan's unique tenancy laws, which are, as we've mentioned here in the past, very tenant-oriented. But we'll get to that in a moment. So let's start from the smaller problems and work our way up to the worst. So obviously the most common issue, which doesn't occur much in Japan, but does occasionally happen, are payment issues. So tenants who are late on their rent payments or miss out on them altogether, tenants who pay just a partial amount of the rent because they're short, or they might even be paying the rent, but they might not be paying other dues, like their water bill, for example. Now, in newer buildings, each unit has an individual water meter, so tenants get their bills directly and under their names. But in some of the older buildings, there's only one communal water meter, and the tenants are then charged a fixed amount every month by the building management company. Now, if the tenant fails to pay those bills, building management will, of course, first try to collect the outstanding amount directly from them. But at some point, usually after about six to eight months, they'll give up and they'll ask the landlord to pay the outstanding debt instead because it is registered uh, actually under the landlord's name. 
And if that doesn't happen, they'll eventually turn off the unit's water supply. So what can you do if a tenant owes any kind of money? Well, if they've got rent insurance or what's called here a guarantor company, things are relatively easy. You or the property manager contact the rent insurance company and you notify them of the issue. And that does two things. Firstly, it immediately covers any such debt up to normally three months of missing rent payments. And secondly, it effectively turns over handling of the entire debt collection issue to professionals who will continue to chase up the debt and they'll also take action to then evict the tenant if the debt hasn't been paid and normal timely payments have not been resumed. But what if you, say, inherited the tenant from the seller and he doesn't have a guarantee company? Well, obviously, the first step is to ask the property manager to step up their collection efforts, calling the tenants first, either on their mobile phones or at work, if that number is available. That last tactic is actually particularly effective in Japan because one of the worst fears for your average Japanese is the fear of public shaming. So you contacting employers, personal guarantors, whether it's their family members or colleagues, etc., is a huge disgrace for your average Japanese tenant. And in the case of employers, it might even end up costing them their jobs. So calling those people will usually fix the problem immediately. However, in cases when the tenant is not employed or doesn't have any personal guarantors, that's not really a very effective tactic. In that case, the tenant will most likely have a security deposit because you really shouldn't be taking on tenants, whether you inherited them or not, who do not have at least a guarantee company or pay the security deposit. And we hope you've already picked this up uh, here on the podcast. But even if the tenant does have a security deposit, which will cover the delinquent rent, you really want to bear in mind that depending on the length of the tenancy, there will most definitely be other costs involved if and when you do end up evicting them. So at least a few hundred dollars, even for tiny studio units, after a relatively short tenancy, you got to replace wallpapers, an insect screen or two, and maybe a few uh, seal, seal rubber bands around taps and stuff like that. And if the property is larger uh, and or the tenancy is longer, it could be up to a few thousands or even more. So you really don't want to factor in the length of time uh, to evict them based on the security deposit you're going to keep because that missing month or two of rent is not going to be your big expense here. When you evict, you're going to need that security deposit to cover other expenses. Because if the tenant is not paying the rent, it's really unlikely that you're going to easily get them to cover any damages to the property. And in any case, it's most likely just standard wear and tear. Because again, Japanese tenants do not intentionally damage properties. And normal wear and tear is not really something that the tenant is responsible for in any case. So in cases when there's no guarantee company to rely on, it's a really good advice to notify the tenant that they will need to pay the rental debt as soon as possible. Get the property manager to send them a notice, including a due date via registered post as soon as it's, say, one month after the due date. So you've got proof and mention to them that if rent is not received by the due date or some other arrangement reached with the property manager, you're going to have to take further action. Now, that further action obviously is eviction. And if you don't receive your due rental income by the due date and the property manager could not reach a payment arrangement with the tenant which usually means that they just couldn't get a hold of them, you will need to send them an eviction letter. Mind you, if an arrangement has been reached, just make sure that there's an actual written memorandum between the property manager and the tenant and make sure that the tenant actually signs it. If it does get to eviction, you're in luck compared to other countries because as mentioned, it's almost never going to be a case of a tenant refusing to leave. 
at least we've never run across such a case with Japanese tenants. And it's very likely that if you send a second registered letter instructing the tenant to vacate the property by a certain due date again, that's exactly what's going to happen. We've even had cases where a tenant returned the keys and then also returned the amount that they owed when they, uh, when they left the property. Surprise, surprise, on that due date, which makes one wonder why they didn't just pay the amount owed instead of being evicted. But I guess that's the mysteries of life. So this is a relatively simple um, tenant problem, not really a horror case. But wait, there's more. What if the tenant leaves the property in shambles? Again, doesn't happen often at all in Japan. In fact, I'm sorry to have to say this, but if and when this sort of thing does happen, it's unfortunately normally foreign tenants that tend to do this, non-Japanese, particularly international students. So the types who rent an apartment to live in on their own, but you actually find out that they've subleased rooms to their mates and so forth. These types will usually leave the property in pretty bad condition, particularly if they leave in a hurry and without paying their due rental uh, income again, uh, rental payments again. So if you've got rent insurance, again, guarantee company, you're in luck. Uh, the guarantee company will pay for those damages as well. In fact, in cases where the tenant simply absconds mid-lease, the guarantee company will actually take them to court. And until such a time as that court case is adjourned, which can often take about a year, the landlord will continue to get paid by the guarantee company every month. Of course, if we're talking about international students again, they may simply leave the country, in which case the court case will be adjourned fairly quickly. Just bear in mind that while a court case is ongoing, the lease is still technically in place. So for legal reasons, you should not be leasing that property again, which really is not an issue since you're getting paid in any case. Once the court case is adjourned and a decision has been made, then the property is free to be leased out again. If the tenant doesn't have a guarantee company, you can, of course, choose to take them uh, to court on your own. But depending on the extent of money that they actually owe you and any damages that there might be in the property, that could or could not be a good idea because really all that they need to do, even if they're uh, local Japanese tenants, is just um, declare bankruptcy, which means that there'll be close to nothing you'll be able to get from them. And the court appearance will most likely cost you at least $1,000 or so, more in most cases. So it may not be worth the exercise, uh, the time and expenses. Might be just time to cut your losses and go for a new tenant. So what else can happen aside from payment issues? Well, pretty much everything, Japan or not, things do happen here as well. And the more properties you've got under your belt, the more you'll end up seeing. So we've had tenants uh, jailed, and we only found this out when the rent stopped coming in. Or in one case, at least, had a tenant actually contact us, telling us that they're going to jail for a couple of months in about a week's time. I actually thought it was really nice of the court to give him this time to sort out his affairs like that. And that tenant then asked us if he could keep the property for when he gets out. Of course, the final decision is entirely yours in these cases, but generally speaking, if the tenant has been paying on time and has had no other issues, probably not a bad idea. And also, it's a nice thing to do because as ex-cons, even after a very short stint in the slammer, they find it much harder to rent places to live. So if you want to do the right thing, why not let them come back? And really, these kind of short incarcerations usually mean relatively light crime. So... Uh, shopliftings or scams, public intoxications or DUIs, uh, maybe involvement in a brawl, etc. So not, not something to be overlooked, but not really something that might cause you to then decide not to allow them back in the property. 
Now, we've mentioned here in the past that tenant deaths in this rapidly aging society that is Japan, definitely a thing that happens rather frequently. And we've also mentioned that you really want to expand your insurance policy to include death coverage for this reason. So if a tenant dies while in there in a hospital, for example, it's really just a matter of standard cleaning and renovating after the tenancy, which may or may not be covered by rent insurance or the tenant's next of kin, security deposit, etc. But if they die in the property, as we mentioned, there are much higher expenses and that death coverage can really save your butt. So lastly, and just as an example, this is unfortunately a case that we're actually dealing with right now. And again, folks, if you've got a weak stomach, you may want to sign off at this point. The absolutely worst nightmare scenario that we've had so far is a death in the property, but not just anywhere in the property, in a bath full of water, and not only in a bath full of water, but during the hottest week of the year to date. So you can imagine what the place looked and smelled like when the body was finally discovered. Uh, furthermore, um, and we've learned this the hard way, decomposing bodies apparently cause bath water to overflow as well as causing pipes to become clogged, which can completely destroy a property's interior. And not only that, but can also cause damages to adjoining properties as the water overflows the unit itself, uh, particularly units that are located directly below yours as the water trickles down through their ceiling. Now, such a case, unfortunately, can become an insurance and compensation nightmare as well because these expenses will exceed the death insurance coverage, which is uh, on normal policies up to uh, about 1 million yen or 10,000 US dollars roughly. And your typical third party insurance, which is normally supposed to cover damages to any adjoining units in the building, may also not be claimable against in this case, since the types of damages uh, that this policy covers are normally related to faulty equipment in the property itself not damages related to decomposing corpses, for which, again, the tenants next of kin are actually officially and legally responsible, but obviously not the easiest thing to claim, uh, particularly at such a time in their life. So the owner of the property beneath yours uh, will be referred to the tenants next of kin, but if they don't get a proper response for them, they may decide to take it up with you. Um, which again could turn into a court case. So jury's still out on this one. Actually, joke aside, we sincerely hope this will not go as far as a court case because these tend, again, to compound expenses. But it is likely to assume that in this case, even with all the insurance and other modes of compensation put together that may or may not be applicable, the landlord is most likely to be significantly out of pocket on the entire ordeal. So there you go. Uh, Japan is, generally speaking, a landlord's paradise as far as annoying, dangerous, or problematic tenants go, and as far as professional services companies uh, are involved, so you're not going to be swindled, taken advantage of, but things can and do go wrong here as well. And really, as always, the best you can do in these cases is just make sure that you've got the best professionals handling the property on your behalf. So whether it's property managers or portfolio managers like ourselves, people that can help you minimize losses and get the property back to rental income generating condition as soon as humanly possible. And even in some severe cases, just to sell it, avoid incurring any further expenses, take a minimum loss, hopefully maybe even a profit if you can sell it at the profit. That's always a viable option as well. So bottom line should always be carefully estimated and then an informed decision should be taken. That's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed, um, if that's the right word, this episode and what we uh, that we haven't completely turned you off property investment here in Japan. 
really, again, these horror stories are rare, but it's good to get the facts objectively so that you know that they can and do occasionally occur here as well. And um, for those of you, again, in or around Tokyo at the end of next month, we hope to see you at our get-together. We'll link to the event registration page in this episode's show notes. And we're also going to link to OFX again. So a lot of you have been taking up our offer and signing up with our partner at Forex Provider. And we've been getting some thank you emails from people who did once they started comparing the rates that they get from them as opposed to standard international remittances um, via your typical bank account. So again, highly recommended if you remit funds between any two countries. Sign up with OFX. Make sure you do it through our partner referral link in this episode's show notes so you'll get the uh, fee-free transfers as well. Free to join just requires a bit of paperwork, most of which I think can be submitted online. And it'll save you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, depending on how much and how often you send funds overseas or receive them from any other country except your own. Thanks again for tuning in. Do share this episode with anyone who appreciates a good horror story or anyone you think uh, might find this content interesting. Uh, your personal social media networks, or just email it to a friend, etc. We'd really, really love it also if you could just give us a rating or a review on the iTunes uh, podcast repository or store. It'll take less than a minute of your time and it helps us reach more people, which is really a win-win situation for everyone involved. Hope to have you with us next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, we wish you, as always, happy investing.